And now another edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman. Every edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman airs weekdays on the American Forces Network in countries around the world. Each show is also available as a podcast at ontravel.com and at iTunes. Just use the keyword on travel. Here's Paul and Elizabeth. Today, Max Hartshorn joins us once again, and Max is the editor of GoNomad.com. It's simply a website you really have to look at. Max does travel for the real person, <laughs> and I, I say that in real complimentary terms, Max. So many influencers and whatever just are in a place, and all they want to do is take pictures of themselves looking at a place. And you bring real insight and, I think, a, a sense of real travel to what you do. And as editor of GoNomad.com, it's a pleasure to have you here as a regular contributor to traveling. Max, welcome. Always, always great to be back with you, Paul. And as I mentioned, I'm so glad that I'm not traveling. I've had a series of about four trips in a row. And now, uh, after about a month and a half, it's time to reflect, write, edit my articles, and talk on the radio. So good to be with you and the folks from American Forces again. Well, I'm so glad you're here. You know, uh, you sent, uh, you're wonderful because you send these galleries of really good photographs. And you were in Saxony in Germany. And that's famous. You may not know Saxony. You certainly know about Dresden. If you have any interest in, in war, uh, Dresden was perhaps one of the great war crimes of all time because Winston Churchill ordered that Dresden be completely razed. And Dresden was one of the repositories of some of the greatest museums and artworks on earth. And it all went away in a firestorm uh, during World War II. And, you know, I'm not drawing any conclusions or anything else because people do things in war that they deem important. And no doubt this was an important act, no question, um, because the uh, Germans had bombed Coventry. And so... It's a remarkable part of Germany because it really echoes not only the past but the future. Uh, there's an, an awful lot looking at the future of Germany in in Saxony. But Max, how did you you find this? Well, you know, it is really is uh, in Dresden the the the, um, the date that is etched in everybody's mind in history is February fourteenth, nineteen forty five. That was when more more bombs were dropped on Dresden. During that two-day period, then was dropped on the entire country of Germany for the whole war. It was an absolute firestorm, and you've read about it, I'm sure. When I was growing up, one of the books we all read in school was Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, who witnessed the Dresden firebombing. It was a terrible, terrible thing. But you know, like in so many things in war and so many things in our lives, there's ways that things have a way of turning around. And boy. Dresden sure did turn around. In the years following the terrible bombing of 1945, when 75% of the whole city was razed, one thing that wasn't razed was many of the walls that stood intact. And those walls, including the place called the Swimmer, the Zimmer, the beautiful palace, have been restored to just an unbelievable glory. And they are looking just as good as they did in 1830 and 1820, when they were built, the palace has been rebuilt. In fact, Dresden's really excited because the royal palace is has been unveiled. The last final 
uh, restoration, meticulous restoration of the renovated staterooms in the Royal Palace. So it's a real treat, Paul. And I, anybody who goes to Germany should think about going beyond Munich and beyond even Berlin to the former Eastern Germany, Dresden, Leipzig, and Korlitz among the towns we visited. Well, and it's it's wonderful that we can visit them so easily today. Uh, and I was particularly impressed by this, and I know very little about it. This, I guess, it looks like the prow of a ship coming out of a, a classic building. Reminds me a little bit about that uh, uh, walkway that you find at the top of the Reichstag building in Berlin. Well, you know, that is exactly right. That's called the Wedge. That's Daniel Liebskin's, one of his masterpieces. The great architect Daniel Liebskin designed the Wedge, and it is an absolutely eye-dropping site. I hope that some of the folks will take a chance and look at our website. Eventually, we'll have some articles about We have an article in process, but right now, maybe they'll be able to look at your website to see this dramatic wedge. It's Daniel Liebskin. It's an aluminum structure that sticks out of a barracks. That was built in the 1830s. Uh, it's the Military Museum of Dresden. And oh. it is just dramatic. You walk up to this building, you see the limestone, you see the typical giant edifice that you see built to house the, you know, the, the troops who were fought, fought Napoleon in the Saxony era of kings. And there's this giant wedge. And, you know, you can walk out into the wedge, see the photographs that I've shown you. You can walk out there and you get this incredible view of the rebuilt and shining city of Dresden. It's just remarkable. Liebskin designed these special louvers so that it opens up and it shows you a pathway all the way to the center. But in that wedge are some exhibitions, which kind of, as my guide said, it's a military museum for people who don't like the military. Well, well, that's, uh, you know, we like the military, but, uh, you know, I suppose there are a substantial number of people that way. Uh, Germany has done a, a remarkable job of preserving the past and showing, I think, it in all of its horror and, and this sort of thing, but also of, of celebrating the craftsmanship and the, uh, the art and the uh, amazing resilience of these people. Really, this museum, I mean, I guess, I guess the more accurate way to say it was a museum for people that maybe they don't like military museums, not the military. I mean, that's a large swath of people to talk about. But the people who may say they don't want to go to a museum that glorifies war. This museum in the military, in the wedge, especially in the wedge, which is up on the third floor of this building, this giant building, it, it shows you in human terms what the Germans did, such as the they have an exhibit, a very stark exhibit, Paul. It's a picture of a little boy, and it's a picture of some of a totally destroyed city in Poland. This city was completely destroyed, beyond destroyed, in the first week. They hadn't even declared war yet, and the Germans killed thousands of people in this city of 14,000. And there's a little picture of a little boy who survived the, the atrocity. And then there was some photographs of one of the bomber pilots who dropped the bomb on the small village in Poland, which started the great conflagration that became World War II. So these are the type of things that they have in this museum. They have ways of thinking about war. Um, the other exhibit they have, which is really striking, are a series of animals. I and saw, these are animals, I animals saw, used in war. That's what it is. See, I saw this, and I was thinking, 
Oh, interesting. Military museum, animals used in war. Well, I could understand the elephant, but I, I couldn't see all of the camels, I guess, and horses and... Uh, horses and cats, cats. And, I mean, horrible things they did. Dogs and cats being used to carry bombs. Rats being used to carry oh. bombs. Dolphins well. being used to carry radar. You know, it just covers everything. But they also have an exhibit of some of the toys that were given out by the Hitler regime keep the boys and the young young men and young boys and young children involved and loving Hitler. They had little Hitler puzzles and Hitler games and it was uh. just so creepy because he was really grabbing them by the smallest rung, you know. He yeah. got them by the children, the Hitler youth. And as we know, that was one of his successes. The you know, the brown shirts, the young men that grew up to admire the terrible things that Hitler had done. So it's a great reflective museum. I highly recommend this museum. Um, open every day. And we had a tour with a German military officer who gave us an interesting perspective. But you know, Paul, like many people in Dresden, the gentleman didn't speak English. And that is one thing we found in Dresden and other parts of this part of East Germany. There was very not that many people who were capable of being able to have a dialogue with us in English. That's interesting because, you know, when you go to Munich or... Uh... Berlin or something like that, it seems like a, a large chunk of the people do speak English. It's sort of uh, indicative, perhaps, that Saxony is really uh, a place that wants to hold on to a tradition and its culture. Well, they also, when they were children, think about this. East Germany, they learned Russian and German. They weren't learning any English in those schools. So the tradition of, you know, that wasn't that long ago. I mean, the no. Berlin Wall... You know, 1990s. So you're talking about anybody that went to school before then was really in a in a had the presence of Stasi. Do you remember the movie, Paul? The one of the movie oh, yes. called "The Lives of Others." Yes. You know about about Stasi and about the listening. Well, one of the places that we went on our trip in Dresden, we went to a, a big big library, and they had these little closets, and they looked like telephone booths. And in fact, they were. And they said they were these are the telephone booths because people used to not have their own phones. One of the problems in East Germany was there wasn't enough Stasi agents to listen to every phone call. Oh. <laughs> and that's what it was like. You were yeah. being listened to all the time by Stasi, as the movie The Lives of Others points out so well. Um, but it's a lovely place, Paul. We, we went, started in Dresden, and, you know, we were lucky on the trip. We spent six days staying in the same wonderful hotel. And that is just, as a traveler, you know, Traveling in different hotels is kind of stressful, but we just had our base at the Plank Hotel in the center of Dresden, and we went out, fanned out for these day trips. And one of our first day trips was really wonderful to the, the city of Leipzig, which is about an hour away from Dresden. Yes, and now Leipzig is, is famous as an educational center, I believe, too. Uh, what did you find there today? Because um, I've heard so much about it. It comes up in conversations about visiting Germany. It is. Well, you know, Leipzig it used to be the great trading city. It was the crossroads of, of many nations. And in Leipzig, there was all kinds of tra trade buildings. They used to have very large trade fairs. This was back before the Internet, when in the 40s and 30s. So it was a very important city for trade. Today, it's really a city of music. There's a place called the Gewandhaus, which is the most magnificent, beautiful concert hall. And it's been had several different iterations. But essentially, the best thing to know about Leipzig was that Ludwig von Beethoven played his first concerto 
1825 in Leipzig and spent time in Leipzig and in Vienna. They were the two powerhouses. And to this day, Leipzig is a powerhouse in classical music. And when we were there, it was the most remarkable thing, Paul. We stopped in at the Gewand House, and they were auditioning for the first cellist. So they had oh. a stage full of eager cellists trying to audition for that wonderful symphony. Wow. Isn't that, that's so special because it gives you an insight into how orchestras work. And I think a lot of people don't have that insight. And I think being able to see something like that is so important. Also, the orchestras, uh, these are tax supported many times. I mean, the communities support their arts. And I think that's so good. Uh, you know, Berlin oh, is, absolutely. A, is a, Berlin is yeah, a wonderful it's a example of that. That's right. It is. It's a municipal orchestra, and it's paid for by a lot of the taxpayers. Um, but, you know, Leipzig has lots of different interesting cultures. So the music is one thing, the oldest symphony in the world. And, you know, some of these symphony halls that are built were built to look just like the ones in Boston. So they had kind of a pair between Boston. <laughs> but another thing, another thing we did in Leipzig, which was neat, was we visited a place called the Spinnery, which was a gigantic factory in the East German days where they spun yarn. Oh and my. like so many yeah, so many industrial places, it's no longer spinning yarn that's been outsourced to other countries, but it's now a gigantic artist colony. The likes of which I've never seen, Paul. You know, these converted these wonderful converted art studios you see in old factories. We this is like times ten in life. Wow. Isn't that great that they've done that though and given a place for artists to work and and I've seen that yeah, in... hundreds of artists creating all different art and they have a great partnership with New York City they they exchange art and have shows and we got a chance to tour some of these some of these art studios and meet some of the artists now another thing that was just really exciting in Leipzig was a chance to visit the oldest restaurant I believe the oldest restaurant in the world it's Good called Auerbach Keller now I think I, if memory serves me, the oldest restaurant in the world is somewhere in China. It's over a thousand. Well, years you're right. Old. China's older than Leipzig. You're right. But, <laughs> but this is that's okay. <laughs> it's one of the most famous and oldest restaurants in the world. Not the oldest, but it's called Auerbach Keller, and it was it was get this, it was started by a friend of Martin Luther's. Oh my god. He was gosh. a buddy of Luther's. My god. That's gosh. how far back it goes. And now, and on the walls. On the, our artwork that was drawn that had to do with Dr. Faustus, if you oh, believe that. Oh, my gosh. Fascinating. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. There are restaurants all over Europe, not necessarily that old. Uh, I know of one in Holland where the proprietor basically fed starving artists, <laughs> kept them from starving in exchange for art. <laughs> and so many, many of them, the walls are covered with original pieces of art by fairly important uh, artists. Yes, Gerder, Jonathan Wolfgang Gerder, oh, yeah. Faustus was set with, he was a, he was also a, a customer at Auerbach Keller. <laughs> they have very low ceilings and wonderful giant beers, you know, what you'd expect, big beers and very healthy, hearty, hearty food that you'd only expect to see in a place like Leipzig. Um, Leipzig was just fun. Also, it's a university town, lots of students there. And there's a fascinating building that was actually, um, it was a former church, a cathedral. And, you know, the East Germans did not like 
cathedrals and they did not like religion. They were very, and they thought that everybody had to be just the state was all there was. So they knocked down this, this 12th century cathedral got knocked down. As my guide said, it was dynamited. They did a lot of dynamiting. Oh, and so they dynamited this 12th century church, but they built this glass enclosure that includes the university library and the university. And it includes, they kind of did a glass cover over the ancient area where the old church used to be. So they've sort of got old and new in one. It's a neat combination. You know, there's a wonderful uh, story, actually, again, uh, unfortunately not in Saxony, but in uh, in Berlin. You know, that giant tower that is in uh, Berlin was erected by uh, East Germany. And uh, except that... Uh, through a quirk of uh, refractory something or other in the glass, there is a cross illuminated in the top of the tower constantly. They can't get rid of it. <laughs> and so East Germany built this gigantic tower, which is topped with a cross. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, uh, ironic, un- isn't it? unintended consequences. But this building... Yeah, they were very against... They, they were not pro-religion at all, so churches were not uh, important. But there were some beautiful churches, and despite of the fact that the Stasi and the East Germans were anti-religion, we went to a number of really gorgeous churches in East Germany. Now, we made our way to another city, which was really, well, actually, I mean, before, before I leave Leipzig, I just want to talk about one thing. It was a, a fascinating uh, memorial, one of the biggest monuments I've ever seen, Paul, and this gigantic thing is called the Battle, it's the Monument to the Battle of the Nations. Oh, wow. Now, how good is your history, Paul? Do you know about the Battle of the Nations? You know, I don't, actually. Uh, well, either I... and I, and don't feel bad, because either and I, the Battle of the Nations involves some 300,000 casualties on either side. Oh, my gosh. It was the kings of Saxony and Sweden and parts of Hungary fighting against Napoleon in the early 1800s. They... Uh, beat Napoleon, but after that, the Saxon kings ended up losing their kingships and having being swallowed up into another empire. But this gigantic memorial is just a stunner. It's so big, and there's a giant pool outside the memorial. They call that the, the, the ocean of tears that was shed. Uh-huh. This thing was built in the 1800s. More cement than you could just believe. And one of the cool things, you can go inside this giant monument and it's got this circular rotunda inside it. And we were there, and the wonderful guy we were with, the guy, turns on his iPhone, and all of a sudden, choral music is emanating from this incredible building and echoing oh. among all these round statues. It wow. was just amazing. Oh, that's yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, it's quite a thing to see. I'm interested. There, There's a picture of a, uh, a glass of beer with a beautiful head on it, and then I would assume mashed potatoes and perhaps a, uh, a veal chop or something like that? That's right. That's a veal chop from Leipzig, from the restaurant at the museum in Leipzig. Yes, wow. The food was hearty, lots of, lots of nice big potatoes and nice pieces of meat with gravy, and of course that beautiful beer that you know so well Germany's famous for. They like a little colder than England. But nonetheless, I enjoyed many, many large beers in <laughs> our, our travels. Now, the next stop we made, I want to keep on with my little tour. Uh, we're going to go a little bit farther east to the Polish border. 
And oh, we're wow. going to go to a city called Gorlitz. And Gorlitz is just tremendous. Now, for your listeners who may have ever seen the movie with Jackie Chan, Around the World in 80 Days, I think it was, wow. or 80,000 Hours or something, Jackie Chan, a crazy movie, him running around. Anyway, that was filmed partially in this town of Gorlitz. Wow. Well, it's and there's a And there's a dramatic building, which also has a cinematic credit, Paul. I'd like you to scroll down to the picture of that looks like an empty building with a giant, incredible roof. That is the department store yes. where the movie, the Grand Budapest Hotel, was filmed. Oh, my. That's the hotel. <laughs> More or less. Does that look does that look familiar? Remember the stairways? And yes. The actors running up and down the stairways. Well, that was the tremendous setting for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Wes Anderson's funny movie um, was starring, I think, some people that we would know. Anyway, filmed in that empty building that's going to become a department store again. It was an apartment store at one time. It's going to be another department store. And it is just an incredible building. And again, just one wow. of the things we saw. Our tour was very architecture-based, so we got a chance to really see some of the highlights. And, you know, traveling with architecture people, you get a chance to see some of the details and appreciate the things that you may not have appreciated, you know, on your own as a citizen. You know, that's that's so true. I, I've always thought that the two best tours that you could take anywhere are an architecture tour and a food tour because you learn more oh, about cultures through architecture and food than you ever will just by reading a guidebook. No, you really do. And you get to appreciate the lines. And like, for instance, we went a little bit later on our trip near outside of Gorlitz. Uh, we went to it, um, the Martinsburg, and they had a hunting lodge. And you can see the yellow building. Oh, yes. Down the yellow building. That, that's the hunting lodge Amazing. for the king. And I found a little secret about these kings. You know, they, didn't, they weren't good hunters at all. They used to take the stags and herd them into a courtyard and shoot them from 50 feet away. I've, I've heard similar stories. That's right. <laughs> wow. They were cowards, Paul. But this, this hunting lodge is just incredible. In Moritzburg, you can see you cross over a moat, and you go into this one room, and there are more stags on the wall. And what's funny is some of the ants, the antlers are kind of like um, messed up, and they used to actually make the ant. They used to go to the antlers and they would try to make them be off kilter and make them weird and they were more attractive and they more appre they appealed more to the king that way. Oh good. Off center weird antlers. Yeah. <laughs> well you know, you know kings are strange. Well you know I have to I have to bring this to an end. As always we've rocketed through our time and uh, we can only imagine where are you off to next? We'll have to uh, talk. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I don't have any more traveling, except I'm going to be going to Little Rock, Arkansas for a couple of days. I've got a trip to Little Rock. I'm going to visit the Bill Clinton library and meet some people in Little Rock. But uh, we've got lots of adventures to share from my trips to China and Newfoundland. Wow. And Mexico. So we're going to just, we're just getting started, Paul. <laughs> That's great. We're going to look forward to it. Max Hartshorn will join us regularly here on Traveling. He's the editor of GoNomad.com, a great website. Max, we'll look forward to your next appearance. Thanks very much, Paul. Always good to be with you. Join Paul and Elizabeth at any time since each episode of Traveling is available as a podcast on iTunes, keyword on travel, and at ontravel.com. You can join the global community on Twitter and Facebook at ontravelmedia 
and you can email at traveling at ontravel.com. Your suggestions for show topics and comments are always welcome. Join us next time on the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Fred Sater.